Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you to Genesis chapter 13. You've heard me say now many times that we read the Bible to learn about God, about us, and about how God saves us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, part of what it means to learn about us is to learn about how those of us who went before followed and served the Lord. We're supposed to learn from our family story. Apostle Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now that's very interesting, because he's saying all of that there to a largely Gentile church. He is telling these Gentiles that because they are in Christ through faith, they can and should read the Old Testament as family history. He says that these things happened to our fathers. He says that to Romans and Greeks. But they were Romans and Greeks who had believed in Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. Paul says in Galatians 3.29, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Do you see that? Paul is saying, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ through faith, then Abraham is your daddy, right? He is your spiritual ancestor, and therefore his story is your story, and you should read it so as to learn from it. He says that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. The whole reason this got written down in the Bible, Paul says, is so that it could continue to be helpful to us. This story that we're about to read is one of those helpful family narratives. It contains several useful tidbits about how we ought to live as the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. So, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. So learn this, Abraham learned from his mistakes, right? There's a lesson for us. The people of God make mistakes. We are not Jesus. So when you make a mistake, confess it, repent of it, turn around and get back to your duty. Abram should never have gone down to Egypt in the first place, but having made that mess and having been rebuked for it, he's learned his lesson and here he is now headed right back to Canaan, right back on track, right back to his duty. It's always better to do what you should do the first time around, but as we see here, it's also better late than never. All right, verse two. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. Here's something we might as well talk about now, something we need to learn. God is not opposed to wealth per se. You know, Christians by and large have two wrong attitudes when it comes to wealth. Some of us think that wealth is always bad, right? Anyone who has wealth must have lied or compromised or cheated in some way in order to get it. And if they really loved Jesus, then they would have given it all away. But that is to deny an awful lot of what we see in the Bible. 
There are a lot of rich people in the Bible who appear to be loved and accepted by God. We could mention Abraham, Job, David, and Solomon from the Old Testament, but then also Mark, Phoebe, Lydia, Matthew, and even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Paul says that he was both rich and poor over the course of his Christian life. And it seems at the end of Paul's life that he's very rich indeed. If he's able to pay for the the Nazarite vows of multiple people, I heard one scholar say that a Nazarite vow typically cost as much as $100,000 in today's terms. So whether Paul was reconciled to his family and had new access to his family wealth, we know he came from a wealthy family. Paul's testimony about himself is that he's been both. He's been rich, he's been poor. In his opinion, it doesn't really matter, right? There's something to be said for either. When you've got money, you can use it to help other people. But when you don't have money, then... You can use the experience of poverty to grow your faith in God. So let's just understand that Paul's perspective on money was kind of nuanced. Now, some of us find the ditch on the other side of this road. We we think that God owes us money. We think that all Christians should be rich. This idea is sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel. This is an example of what is sometimes called by theologians over-realized eschatology, meaning it's the error of thinking that Everything that will belong to us in the future can and should and must belong to us now. See, it is true that God is working a plan to bring us back to all of our blessings. It's not true that we have all of those blessings in this present life without exception. We get first fruits, we get glimpses, we get appetizers. But in this fallen world, the principle of prosperity is resisted, right? It's breaking in, but as of now, the fullness of it lies ahead. That's why Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, right? Now, that word tribulation means hardships, persecutions, losses, deprivations. Jesus says, that's what you should expect, brothers and sisters, Because the world is in crisis. The world is at enmity with God and with you. The world is dividing around the principle and the person of blessing. Now, that's a bit of a bunny trail, but we're going to have to go down at some point or another because Abraham becomes one of the richest men of his generation over the course of the story. Verse 3 says, And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now we see here again that Abraham is a man of faith. And we see that part of being a person of faith is responding to everything God says and does. God has just forgiven Abraham for making a major blunder. He showed him mercy when he could have cast him off. So Abraham worshiped. Now, Jesus said that this is how it works. This is what people do. Do you remember the story of the woman who was weeping and washing Jesus' feet and the Pharisees got all offended at her display? Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus said that there's a connection between how much you're forgiven and how extravagantly you worship. People who've been forgiven much worship much. That's that's the connection. 
And Abraham is giving evidence of that same connection, that same reality. Abraham and this woman in Luke 7 received great mercy from God, so they were extravagant in their worship. Verse 5 says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now, here's a lesson about faith as well. As long as we are still sinners, the blessings of God can become occasions for conflict. Sinful people struggle to manage the goodness of God. That's a major theme over the course of the Old Testament, and we see it being introduced here. Verse 8, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Here we learn that mature faith is peacemaking faith. Abram sought the peace, and he paid for the peace by taking second place in the subsequent negotiations. He could have easily demanded first choice of the grazing land. He was the elder and the patriarch, not to mention the vessel of promise. But Abraham here demonstrates the virtue of meekness. Meekness is not pushing yourself forward. Meekness is not demanding what you are owed. Meekness is trusting your future to the promise and favor of the Lord. Meekness is, in that sense, a subset of faith, which is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As in the Old Testament, so in the New. Verse 10 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Here we learn the danger of trusting in what your eyes see. Lot saw the possibility of riches, and as a result, Lot didn't see the dangers of contamination, because the men of Sodom were wicked sinners against the Lord. The point is this, be very careful about the company you feel compelled to keep in your pursuit of riches. The Apostle Paul warned about this as well. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's in the New Testament, right? Lot was led astray by the lust of the eyes, but Abraham trusted in the promise of the Lord. Verse 14 says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, 
so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. (laughs) Here we see God responding to Abraham's trust with additional promise, and then we see Abraham responding to additional promise with fresh worship and sacrifice. Old Testament and new, this is the dance of faith. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word. Before.